And so, you know, the reality is that anybody can sell anything to anyone once. Mm -hmm. You may have to get desperate and put a gun to their head or, you know, give it to them or even pay them to take it. You can sell it once. Mm -hmm. But if, if your value proposition isn't syncing with what they're looking for, you're going to lose them after that. Hello all, welcome back to another exciting week on Talking With Experts podcast and this one is really exciting because um, when I was studying uh, my uh, management degree at, at university I actually read some of his books in the library and, and I'm just shocked that he's actually, he came on the podcast, it, it's incredible. So further ado, Michael R. Solomon will be joining me today on Talking With Experts podcast he is an international speaker and renowned author in marketing and advertising and consumer behavior. And this is a really going to be a really interesting episode to listen to because he's going to be talking about what kind of trends you can start to see in 2020, 2022. And also we filmed it in 2021. So he's going to give you a, a, a wider perspective on what you can expect to do in your marketing to improve your message and uh, how to really grow your brand so this is one that you need to listen to if you're if you're a student of marketing advertising consumer behavior or you just want to improve your small business brand and to the consumer engagement and everything so i hope you take a lot out of it and I'll speak to you at the end. Sure. Well, thanks, Chris, for having me on. And uh, it's great to connect with, with your audience. So uh, the short story is I'm currently a professor of marketing at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia in the States. And I have been a marketing professor for about 40 years, I hate to say, <laughs> uh, in, including a stint at the University of Manchester at the at the Manchester Business School, where I was professor of consumer behavior for six years. And um, during that time, I've, I've had the opportunity, as you say, to work to work with a number of uh, interesting companies that are that are trying to get closer to their customers. Um, for the most part, my experience has been with with larger companies, but really the basic principles that we're talking about are equally applicable to mm. small business owners, you know, just to startups and, and so on. So, uh, uh, you know, I've had a lot of, of interesting experiences. I've learned a lot from these, from these great marketers that I've worked with. Um, I'm also a, um, in addition to my, ec my academic research, I'm a textbook author, I'm the author of the uh, most widely used textbook on consumer behavior worldwide. I'm happy to say it's and it's uh, <laughs> currently in the states in its 13th edition, so it's been around for a while. Uh, I've also written several trade books, including including a recent one that I guess we can talk about. Um, but yeah, that's who I am. I basically uh, I focus on what we call the deep meanings of brands. Uh, mm -hmm. In other words, you know, starting with the with the recognition that you know, as I like to say, we don't buy things because of what they do, we buy them because of what they mean. And so what I try to do when I work with companies or when I talk to audiences about this is, is to encourage everyone to think about their brand as a story, not just as a set of nuts and bolts that they're, that they're selling. Because I can assure you, your customers are usually looking for a story that they want to buy 
And if the task gets done, if they need the product for even better, but it's all about understanding at a deeper level, why we consume and what these brands mean to us. And, and, uh, and again, that's true, whether you have a mom and pop operation or you're one of the, the big guys. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess my career in a nutshell <laughs> is, uh, you know, writing and talking and, uh, and doing research about brands and how people make sense of those brands. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I'm just again. I'm still. I'm a, a bit blushing, but anyway. Um, so you said that brand, that the brands that you've worked with, the concepts and the principles that you used apply to small business owners. What what is it that we can specifically focus on to build a strong brand in today's market? Yeah, well, that's a loaded question because, of course, it's hard to answer with in just one thing. But you know, at a very high level, what we can say is that that really the the secret sauce today is engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk a lot about engagement. I'm actually uh, about to launch an online course on how to engage uh, customers with your brands. But but what that means is that you know there are. Our, what I like to say is, our, you know, our problem in the Western world, ironically, uh, despite the ravages of COVID and so on, is that we, it's not that we don't have enough choices, it's that we have too many choices. Mm -hmm. And we're all overwhelmed by all the messages that are coming at us constantly, whether it's from our spouse or from General Motors, you know. <laughs> um, and so the biggest challenge today is just getting people's attention getting them to look up from their phones and, and so on and, and engage with your mm -hmm. message because you can have the best value offering that er has ever been invented. But if no one is willing to process that and think about it, you might as well not have done it. So um, really, you know, that that's the big thing is, is connecting with your customers. Now, the, nut, the nuts and bolts of how you do that obviously depends on the particular kind of business you're in. But there are there are many ways, many, many ways to, to get people more engaged, either by reframing what your brand means to them mm -hmm. or by finding new meanings for your brand and actually engaging with your customers to define the meaning of your brand, because that is a major trend today. When people ask me, what's the biggest change you've seen in marketing in the last 20 years? And I say, well, there's a lot of changes. And of course, the pandemic you know, yeah, yeah. who knows what, what that all is. But, but usually what I say is the biggest change is the proactivity of customers today in dealing with businesses. And so we're no longer, for the most part, just a bunch of couch potatoes that sit back and let companies tell us what to do. Yep. Uh, we're often engaging in that process. We're creating content for companies. We're, uh, maybe we're engaging in the gig economy where we are becoming, everyday people are becoming taxi drivers and hotel keepers and so on. There's lots of different ways we see this shaking out. But what they have in common is that customers want to be more proactive and to talk to companies as opposed to being talked to. So yes. I guess, you know, the way I can summarize that is there's one little word we want to change. And that is we want to go from marketing to to marketing with. Marketing yeah. to to marketing with just a little tiny word makes a world of, of difference. 
Yeah, and and I, I know a lot of people talk about um, trying to portray the benefits of the brand. Is that an approach you would take to try to help yeah. people that's, understand? That's one hundred percent correct. I mean, the the biggest problem is that most companies sell the attributes of the brand of the product or service. In other words, the the features, you know, what makes mm -hmm. it run. But we buy benefits, you know. So what we like to say is, you know, that uh, a company sells a three-quarter inch drill bit, but a customer buys a three-quarter inch hole. <laughs> that is a very different deliverable because there could be other ways, rather than focusing on making the best drill bit in the world, how's that for a glamorous example? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there may be other ways to put that hole in a, in a piece of wood that don't involve the drill at all. And so, you know, it, it's funny, the marketing graveyard is full of big, sophisticated companies that didn't understand what business they were in. So for example, the railroads in the 1880s, many, many years ago, um, you know, thought that they were in the railroad business, but they were actually in the transportation business. And when, mm -hmm. and when automobiles came on the scene, many of them were caught flat-footed because they didn't have an answer to that. Mm. So just, you know, at that really basic, you know, 30,000 foot level, I encourage your listeners just to sit back and contemplate what is it you're really selling? And don't tell me, you know, don't give me an answer like drill bits. <laughs> give me an answer like sophistication or convenience or feel good or wellness or something like that. That's what people are buying. Yeah, I was listening to uh, the founder podcast with um, Nathan Chan, and he was talking to the Airbnb host, and he said they were selling community, lifestyle, Absolutely. convenience, and that yep. really stuck with me. I was like, okay, I've got to think, what am I, what am I doing, and what are other businesses doing? So that's yeah. that touched and, on, and that's a great example. You know, it's helpful to think about that because what is Airbnb doing? Obviously, they had their challenges in the pandemic, big ones, but, um, you know, they have a magazine that they put out, they encourage people to share their experiences, their travel experiences with others. So that word community is extremely important. And ironically, if you're a small business, you actually are better positioned to create that kind of community because it's likely to be even a, just, a, you know, in your area, in your physical area, if you, if you have a storefront, let's say you know your customers and the big companies can never do that so that's mm -hmm. that's where smaller companies have an advantage because for big companies anything like that is like turning a battleship you know but small companies can be nimble they can be more like a little sailboat or motorboat that's able to to pivot and twist and so they're able to have a uh, if they choose to do so a much stronger bond with their with their customers. And we saw this during the pandemic, you know, we saw it uh, here in the States, uh, I'm sure elsewhere, restaurants, for example, the ones that survived were the ones who, who had a strong customer base, you know, and they said, we're going to support you, even if it means giving you money and not taking any food. In some cases, we're going to rally around you, you know, but they had, they had to earn that. They had, yeah. they, they didn't open their doors you know, two months before the pandemic and say, oh, aren't we cool? Please support us. Yeah. And they, uh, I can, there's a, there's a small restaurant that adapted to on, on um, groceries and um, they, they, they'd already built the trust 
and mm-hmm. we've we've been supporting them now by going back now that they're open. So yeah. they've they built that trust over a long time and they adapted for us during the pandemic. So they earned our trust and loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. And that bond with your customer is your single biggest asset. It's hard to value it financially, uh, although there are ways to do that, but it is so much more important than any of your equipment or anything like that in terms of the value of your business. Your customers are your best asset. No question. For sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. So in terms of, let's just say that uh, a startup is right at the starting stages and they're building a brand, what are aspects that they should focus on first? Well, you know, it's, it's tempting to just come up with an idea and go full force with it without, because you get very caught up in it and very enthusiastic, but uh, it's probably better to be a little more thoughtful about it. Um, and really, again, really think about what is a benefit that you've identified that people seem to want, some group of people seem to want, and they're, they're either not getting it at all, or you feel like you could deliver it better and then work backwards from that. So this is what I tell even my undergraduate students, you know, marketing is a process of starting at the end and working backwards. In other words, you don't create something and then say, I wonder who would buy this. And many big companies do this. I've worked with some, trust me. You don't want to do that. You want to first identify the need. And then if you have the capability to meet, and you may not, but if you have the capability to meet that need or in partnership with someone else, you have that capability, then you are more confident that at the end of the day, if, if, you're, if you're able to clearly communicate your value proposition, it's going to be something that your target audience actually wants. And, and again, there are many examples, even of big companies who have you know, created, let's say a version of a, of a product that they sell, it's got a new ingredient in it. Yeah. The problem is that nobody cares about that new ingredient. So when we say it's new, new, new and improved, I always wonder, well, what was wrong with the old one? Mm. Mm. Uh, so yeah I mean that so to someone who's just starting out um, you know you don't have the luxury of giving a lot of thought to things because you're you're chasing your own tail all day long Mm -hmm. but it's really good and it's really good to talk to people who know your business and also people who don't know your business and and try to get as much free marketing research as you can in the early stages just by putting things in front of people and saying what do you think about this and usually people are happy to give you a response if you make it very easy you know i'm i'm thinking about a logo that's going to be either blue or red what do you think and getting an answer like that yeah okay so really simplifying it and then again would it work if i know you you have a course out there and you have the audience who will will, will benefit from it uh but do you recommend if somebody's starting a course that they they do a beta version which is free or low cost and they use that to get testimonials and feedback to then move forward with it um yeah you know uh it's it is a lot like launching a course or a book where you need you know what we call social proof people are looking for some evidence that you have some credibility you know Mm -hmm. and so yeah i mean if you have the luxury of a soft launch where you can where you can make adjustments i mean one of the biggest changes that i've seen um Another big change that I've seen, I already mentioned one, which is proactivity, is that today everything is always in beta. 
Mm -hmm. We're always beta testing everything. And there are a lot of companies that don't adopt that perspective because what they believe is that it has to be absolutely perfect before I let it out the door. And that probably is a mistake because you want to get your early adopters involved in, in tweaking what you have. Not only do you, do you improve your offering, but every time you, off, you, you, you make an offer to someone to say, I need your help, I, want, I really value your input, they will be more engaged with what you're selling. We all, we all love to be asked for our yes. advice. So sometimes we refer to this as the Ikea effect. And what that means is that uh, people tend to value things that they had some role in creating, such as building a bookcase, even though you may have a few pieces left over at the end. <laughs> every time you walk by that bookcase, you're going to think of it not just as something that you bought in the store, but you're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember when I, you know, it took me 16 hours to put that together and I yeah. was ready to kill myself, but here it is. You know? <laughs> and yeah. so that kind of engagement is, is hard to monetize, but it's extremely valuable. Uh, and I guess those people that helped you build the, the bookshelf or whatever, the first experts that appeared on season one, <laughs> um, they're, they're invested in the process and they are more likely to promote the brand in the future. It's Everything. Been, and that, you know, the, we, we take on ownership because the brands that the brands that are important to us are the ones that define help to define who we are. Mm. And I talk a lot about that in my books and so on. Um, and so to the extent that a brand that you kind of merge with a brand in the sense that it really reflects part of who you are and by the way that brand can be anything like uh, Manchester United or you know it can be a, a celebrity a, a athletic team uh, lots of different things doesn't have to just be a, a tangible product mm -hmm. uh, that's the that's the level of engagement that that we're talking about and I refer to that as brand resonance if a brand really becomes part of who you are and other people, maybe when they think of you, they say, oh yeah, he was always do, you know, eating that or, or what have you, it becomes part of who you are. Hmm. So I know you've mentioned a few times your book and I do want to talk to you about your book. So I know you've written many books, but this one is, is as good as brand new in 2021. Yeah. So, so tell me about the name first and then we can go in. Yeah, sure. more so the, the, name, the name of the book is The New Chameleons, How to Engage with Consumers Who Defy Categorization. And what, where did I come up with this word chameleons? Well, we know that, that a chameleon changes its colors as it adapts to the environment. Hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, several times a day or an hour, I don't even know, but it changes it, its colors a lot. We today, modern consumers do the same thing. We change our identities constantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a variety of reasons that I go into in the book, I won't, I won't <laughs> go get into the weeds <laughs> here, but for a variety of reasons today, this has become part of what we call the postmodern experience where people are uh, vicariously um, incorporating a lot of things, let's say, on the internet that they see or when they're traveling, you know, uh, either virtually or for real, uh, they're, they're exposed to a lot of other lifestyles, a lot of other countries and brands and things. And, and so we've become a lot more fluid in terms of what we 
are going to incorporate into our daily lives. Mm. And so, uh, you know, the, the short story is that over, over the years, uh, actually, a lot of marketing is built on the concept, for example, of segmentation, of dividing, taking your mass market, identifying a fairly large homogeneous group of people, and assuming that they're all going to respond the same way to your messages, etc. The problem is, and that actually worked pretty well, and I won't, I won't go into the history of it too much. I can tell you that General Motors is, uh, uh, is credited with inventing the idea of market segmentation when they created different models of cars for people at different income levels. Mm-hmm. Because until that time, for example, you know, well, the focus was more on efficiency and Henry Ford famously said, my customers can have their car in any color they want mm-hmm. as long as it's black. <laughs> uh, today we have, you know, we have, we, we would never, we can't get away with that anymore. Mm. Um, and furthermore, it's no longer so easy for, for the reasons I briefly mentioned, uh, uh, to, to group people into these categories for one reason, they don't want to be put into those categories and none of us do. None of us want to be told, well, you're a, you know, you're a 40 year old male who owns a small business and you live in London, therefore, you're yeah. like every other person who fits that description. There's not probably not a person walking around today who would actually agree with that. Mm-hmm. However, we act as if that's the case. And we act as if just assigning someone to a segment means we can check the box and move on. But the reality is that we've been putting customers in boxes for many, many years. And many of these are just simple dichotomies and they no longer apply. So, so for example, very basic ones like age, you know, we used to say you're either old or you're young. Mm. Well, today we have, you know, 60 is the new 40. And we have young girls who, you know, girls who are 10 years old, who dress like they're 30 years old. And Mm. we have, you know, parents and their children are best friends today, which they never used to be. And so, you know, age is an example of that. Gender is an example of that, you know, lots of obviously stuff going on. Uh, you know, male versus female. Well, today, a lot of people don't make that distinction. They say, Mm. well, it's actually more of a continuum and I'm more of this or I'm less of that or I'm neither of these. The the important thing is that when we get away from those dichotomies that are very convenient but not very satisfying, it opens up enormous marketing opportunities because we can see that there are underserved segments now. So for example, uh, you know, if you're in the fashion industry, you, you want to be looking a lot more at men because men's purchasing behaviors are starting to look a lot more like women's and they're more receptive to products. Uh, for example, in the UK, my understanding is that, you know, there's a fair number of men who wear cosmetics on their face. Who, uh, <laughs> uh, there are stores that sell cosmetics only for men, things that they call guy liner and manscara. Uh, again, it's not necessarily a common practice, but uh, you know the, the market for men's personal care products in an absolute sense is much smaller. Women buy a lot more. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the sales trends, you see that it's fairly flat for women, whereas for men, it's like this. Yeah. So there's lots of these different categories that, that I talk about in the book. And you know some of them are more straightforward than others. I, but I talk, for example, about the merging of humans with machines. And, uh, you know, we, we have a lot, many of us have, uh, have implants in our bodies, we have 
computers in our bodies, whether it's a whether it's a pacemaker or uh, you know a, a, a contact lens that monitors uh, our glucose, or there's many things mm. like that coming up online. And on the other hand, we have robots that are doing the work that people used to do: driverless cars, uh, call centers where you're not really talking to a person; you're talking to artificial intelligence, etc. <laughs> so, you know, there's. <laughs> In, in each and in each chapter, I deal with one of these major uh, dichotomies and talk about why it's no longer valid. Yeah, and how yeah people are defying categorization. And and how how big is the book? Is it something that someone could could take could read in a month's time, or is it? Oh yeah, yeah, what, a, yeah. Uh, is, it, is it? It's a few hundred pages, I guess. Uh, and there's. There are no tests or anything. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a typical uh, trade book, and it's I, I think the the reading is actually pretty easy. It's uh, I've been told so. Okay, well that's great. So, <laughs> uh, so for somebody that I guess, if you're trying to work out who your your audience is and being really specific about it, uh, mm-hmm. and considering you just said that uh, lots of people fit into different categories or might not even fit into all the categories that we put them into little boxes. Um, So, so how do we then uh, get specific when people aren't in the cat in a category anymore? Well, again, we want to start at the end, you know, you want to, you, you probably can make some reasonable guesses as to who would be the likely beneficiary of what you have to offer. Now you're going, you're going to, you're going to fine tune that obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you start, you, you need to get out and start to talk to those people. Don't just sit around and say, oh, I wonder what those people would like. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know I can guess what they would like. Well, lots of times managers really what, they, what we tend to do is we tend to project our own evaluations onto something. But that's why they make chocolate and vanilla. People are different. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to talk to people, you, you might start to kind of solidify your image of your ideal customer. And then we start to, to flesh that out. And, and there, there's a lot going on these days in terms of personas, for example, people talk about, sometimes they call them avatars, you know, mm-hmm. who is your, your customer? Uh, you know, how does he or she spend their time? What are their passions? What do they look like? Blah, 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 blah. Does it mean you're 100% accurate? But if you have reason to believe that that person, if no one else is going to buy your product, that person will. Mm. And if you're confident enough, if you have reason to believe that's the case, then, for example, you start to look for more people like that. Well, how can you do that? Well, you know, social media is ideal for that. So, for example, on Facebook, uh, you know, you can create what they call a mirror ad where you specify all of these different uh, Mm. dimensions, descriptors. And now you're sending your message out to other people who tend to fall into those categories. Now, again, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that, that everybody's going to be ideal for the reasons we've just been talking about. But what you want to do is go for the low-hanging fruit. And then you start, as you said before, you know, if you're successful in building up a small but devoted core of people, they become your brand ambassadors. And again, they're your best assets. They're free advertising for you. You can incentivize them to, um, you know, give them a part of the of the give them a revenue share if you have to to 
to bring more people in. But they can do the heavy lifting that the business owner is not always able to do. Yeah. Uh, and in the notes that you said, you said you struggled with uh, multitasking at the start. And uh, if you if you have strong brand ambassadors that have your back in mm-hmm. the in the starting stages, then you can kind of put the multitasking on to them. Would you yeah. would you agree? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, whatever you can you can delegate, you know, it's all. I think the biggest uh, problem that a lot of small business owners have, and I've experienced this myself, is is when you start to, to need to delegate things to other people because you're used to doing everything yourself. You don't trust other people to do it the way you would do it. Um, but on the other hand, you know, no, nobody is superhuman and um, you, you need to be able to rely on your assets. And again, people don't view their customers often as assets, but they really are. And by the way, your sales force, those are, they're your assets too, not just if you have a sales force, uh, not just in terms of, of being able to, to sell your product, but giving you feedback about how it's being received. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you spoke previously about uh, mirror ads. If, if there are businesses out there that don't have the ad budget, how would they target the people that they they want to target? Would it just be over social media and collecting that low hanging fruit, as you said? Uh, yeah. I, well, again, you know, there's no absolute answer because it depends on the business and who they're trying to reach. Are those people on social media? Uh, but but if they are, you know, that's a that, that's always a good way to start. And it may be it may be a matter of just creating a Facebook page or something where you invite people to that and you start to create a community and, and get feedback. Um, uh, you know, look, these other social media platforms met, are an invaluable source of, of marketing feedback that most companies don't seem to be realizing. You know, for example, if I, you know, if I look at someone's Instagram posts, I can probably get a pretty clear idea of, of who they are and what brands matter to them. Mm. You know, so taking advantage of that free information that never used to be there it is enormous. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always free to do research on the web as you get more sophisticated and you use software to, to do what's called web scraping, where you start to look at thousands of responses and all that. Uh, that's a different, you're, you're moving up to a different level. Yeah. But at least informally, you know, when you think about, we, you know, everybody's talking about influencer marketing and, and you know, how are those people creating, they're essentially creating their own brand by promoting your brand. Mm-hmm. How are they doing that? Well, again, it's all about what you said before, that important word of trust. And again, that doesn't happen overnight. So it's a, it's a process that, that starts slowly and you have to be a little patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I guess with uh, lots of content in the form of video, seeing that person on camera and learning about them and their authenticity will come across that. And that's part of the trust process. There's yeah, so, yeah. so many elements. Absolutely. And, you know, authenticity, you hit it right on the head. I mean, that is the single biggest dimension, especially that younger people look for. Mm. They're, they're, you know, we can talk, I mean, we could do another program on what authenticity means, especially post COVID, but, uh, you know, p- people want to know that who you are, you, that you are what you say you are. They want to know your backstory which is a, another advantage that small companies have. So I, a lot of times I, you know, I'll tell managers, 
or owners, if you have a story to tell about, let's say the founding of your company or something mm -hmm. else about your company, tell it. People mm -hmm. want to hear that. And more importantly, as you, as you said, they want to see it. So, uh, you know, younger people, and trust me, I know after teaching them for so long, you know, they are very visual and video is definitely the way to do it. You know, you're yes. not, not going to write an, an autobiographical novel and introduce yourself that way because they'll only read two paragraphs and then they'll <laughs> something else. Right? Yeah, but again, having a book would just um, improve your credibility and uh, it's just another asset that you can use to, to engage with your... Oh, yeah. You know, depending on, again, the, depending on the line of business you're in, you know, there's different ways to accumulate social proof and it can be being active in your industry, getting awards from your industry. You know, it doesn't have to be writing a book or something. Mm. It could be any, maybe you're a judge at a contest for the best jewelry or, you know, whatever your business <laughs> is. Um, people want to see proof that others are consulting you as well. And so, of course, the more followers you have, the better you are. Mm, yes, I agree with you. I know you don't have much time with you. So um, let's end with a few questions and thank you for your time. Sure. Um, what I always like to leave my listeners with practical or actionable tips to, to take their business to the next level. I know we've covered a huge amount today. So what three things do you think you could leave with my listeners today? Oh, wow. Um, well, I guess one, you know, one is remember that word engagement. And, you know, and related to that is remember that you're selling that three quarter inch hole, not the, not the three quarter inch drill bit. And I guess the, the third would be not only connect with your customers, but market with them rather than to them. Mm, yes um and bef before i before i uh, let you go on your way i know you spoke briefly and i've seen on your website about your new course mm. um can, can you enlighten us on what the course is about and oh. sure sure uh, i haven't launched it yet uh but it's it's called engage how to turn your board customers into brand fanatics uh mm. It'll be about um, it'll be about two hours or so of pretty solid content that goes through the process of how you can build an engagement. So, uh, if anyone's interested, uh, you know, and we can probably work out some kind of a discount for people who come. You know, any of your listeners who are interested in the course uh, can contact you or or me, and we can take it from there. It should be launched in about a month, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, well, I would definitely get the course. <laughs> so um, let me have a look at my notes because I did make a few. Um, da, 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 da. Do da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, just one last thing then. Um, you you spoke again in your, your notes about um, the lifetime cash value. How do we... Um, how do we understand that concept and uh, what do we need to focus on? Yeah. So lifetime cash value is, is just, and I'm not a finance person, but uh, it, it's a very valuable metric that some companies are, are, are looking at today because it recognizes that 
for the most part, our businesses are not transactional. Now, obviously, there are some businesses where if you buy a candy bar at a store, you know, maybe that's just a one-off thing. But most of our relationships are, are, are built on, on uh, more than just simple transactions. There, there are a series of those. And so, you know, the reality is that anybody can sell anything to anyone once. Mm-hmm. You may have to get desperate and put a gun to their head or, you know, give it to them or even pay them to take it. You can sell it once. Mm-hmm. But if, if your value proposition isn't syncing with what they're looking for, you're going to lose them after that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I tell my students is that it's far more expensive, roughly seven times more expensive to attract a new customer than to keep an old one. And many, many people understandably are just frantically trying to add customers, you know, to their base. But the problem is that, that those may not be their, those quality customers we're talking about. And furthermore, we tend to ignore, once we have a customer in our camp, we tend to ignore them because mm-hmm. we say, okay, we, we have them. Now I'm going to move on to the next guy. So the, the problem is, uh, you know, if it, you might be familiar with what's called the 20, the 80, 20 rule, mm-hmm. which, um, which has different applications in different parts of business. But in marketing, what we say is that at, at, as a rough approximation, um, 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. Mm-hmm. And so those are your heavy users. Those are your hardcore brand ambassadors and ignore them at your peril. So to get back to your question, having set the stage, then if I have a customer who's buying from me, you know, once a month, then I want to think about that person, not in terms of what they bought from me this month, but over a period of years, how much revenue will I get from that customer? And so, uh, you know, you can use that number one to identify who your really valuable customers are. And number two, in some cases, to do what, what's sometimes called firing the customer. Banks will do this. So a bank might say, uh, you might get an email from a bank saying, oh, we noticed that you know, you've only kept uh, uh, 10 euro in your checking account. Or I have to say pounds now, don't I? <laughs> pounds, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to get used to that. Um, you, you, know, you only have 10 pounds in your checking account. Uh, frankly, it's, you know, we're going to have to close your account because in some cases, servicing a customer is more expensive than keep, mm. you know, because they don't buy enough to justify it. So when you look at, at a metric like lifetime cash value, it's reminding you that you can prune your customers at the bottom to focus on the more profitable ones, but also to value those profitable ones in other ways. Lifetime value. Forget about the cash flow. Just lifetime value versus today's value. There's yeah. a huge difference in orientation. And 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 uh, there's a lot of times people talk about quality over quantity and um, and that's kind of that you're not you're not focusing on chasing the new the next customer that is super cold and you're yes. you focus on people that have already bought from you and trying to nurture yeah. them and understand them more and then those exactly. are the people yeah. that are brand ambassadors so yeah, yeah and I most importantly that. yeah don't take them for granted mm-hmm. that's what a lot of companies do now i've got these people they're good <laughs> yeah. well that you know that's not going to work over time Neglection, and you don't want to do that. 
Okay, awesome. Um, one last question then, um, before I, I let you share how people can get in touch with you. Uh, what is one thing that has made a difference to you uh, in your business life uh, that maybe you could uh, teach somebody? Or what's one thing that made a difference to you, actually? Hmm. Um, well, certainly the technology that's that's become available. You know, a lot of my business, so to speak, is is collecting information about what's going on in the world and in the world of marketing and somehow massaging that into deliverables, like in the form of books or articles. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, and a lot of businesses have to stay on top of a lot of information. So I think what's been very valuable in general is the explosion of database marketing mm -hmm. uh, as a way to keep in touch with these people, uh, you know, having a, 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 a CRM, a customer relationship management system, um, and, and basically taking advantage of these tools that, you know, younger people take them for granted, but I don't because, when, you know, when I was starting out, I basically had a pad of paper and a pencil. <laughs> And so there's so many ways to store and organize information that makes it much more manageable, that it, it is a whole new world. Mm. And it, and that's ever-changing as well, just like our um, behaviors and values. So, okay, so, yeah, awesome. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many other things that I want to ask you, but I know you've you are you have precious time and i don't want to take it up um thanks for today it was amazing to have you on and that and i look forward to potentially having you on in the future um i want to give you five minutes or so to tell people how they can get in contact with you um yeah any links that or any offers that you have for them the space is yours sure thanks uh, i won't need anywhere near five minutes i can tell you uh, I have a I have a website. I think you've seen it. Uh, it's just www.michaelsolomon.com. Three O's Solomon. Um, and my email is predictably Michael at michaelsolomon.com. I've got a lot of links there. I've got some free resources that people can download. Uh, one of those I I recommend is um, uh, and actually you can find it on the first page of the website, if you scroll down about halfway, there's something called a brand resonance audit, which is a simple document, um, but it basically uh, lays out some of the ways that brands can connect very viscerally with customers. It just gives some examples. It's helpful for people to look at that and you can anyone can download that for free. There's other things available on there. So uh, that's definitely the best place to reach me. This uh, this course that I'm talking about, maybe you and I will will confer offline about how we might partner to uh, do a revenue share for you and uh, uh, offer a discount to your to your followers. But that that should be launched. I'm I'm working on. It. I'll I'll go back to working on it as soon as I hang up with, with you. But uh, it'll it'll be out in about probably in about a month to six weeks. So I hope you really got a lot out of this episode. This was some someone that I admired, didn't really know that much about, but uh, that I was just really pumped and humbled to have on the podcast. And he he over-delivered in, in terms of my expectations of, of him. And I hope you got a lot out of this episode. Some of the things that really stood out to me was to ask your customers how you were doing. 
So not necessarily like that, but ask for feedback constantly so you can continually improve your processes, your systems, and the way you, you market to them. Maybe there's a specific way that they prefer for you to reach out to them, whether it's email, text, uh, etc. So really ask them, keep asking them for feedback. Sell the benefits, not the features. We've heard that a lot of the times over the last few weeks. You want to sell the benefits of the projects, uh, not the features. So uh, in terms of, for example, Michael used a drill bit. Uh, instead of talking about the technicalities of how it drills holes in walls, talk about the benefits of um, having a lovely home, having uh, a place to put your, um, you know, place, add your pictures to the wall, etc. So trying to convey the emotion in that story. He also spoke about evaluating your customers in terms of their lifetime cash value rather than thinking about the short term. So you want customers to stay for a long period of time. Think about them as what's the, what's the, how can they ascend through your value ladder? And if you, have, if you don't have a value ladder, then I recommend looking at some of his books or looking at something like Russell Brunson's value ladder. You want to also encourage everyone to think about their brand as a story. What's the story behind your brand? What was the pivotal point that, uh, one, that when you decided you wanted to start a business? Or what is the transformation that somebody has had being a client of yours? Also, focus on building social proof to drive customer engagement. This is really important. Get testimonials to attend events, to become known in the industry by getting industry awards. These are all great ways of building your social proof and consumer engagement. So I hope you got a lot out of this episode, as I said. And if you want to go back or read his new book, The New Chameleons, then I've dropped a link in the show notes for you to get that. And that is The New Chameleons, How to Connect with Consumers Who Defy Categorization. So I hope you enjoy this and I'll see you next week. Thank you again, Michael.